Good morning. Going to say it again. Happy Mother's Day. Moms. What's there not to love about moms, right? We love you. We, we are so thankful for you. You are an example to us of what the love of God, I believe, is supposed to look like. Now, I do want to just acknowledge, I understand that Mother's Day is not always the easiest for everyone. And there's definitely those amongst us who maybe hurt a little bit on Mother's Day. It could be maybe they didn't have a mother's love in the way that they you know, had hoped and wished. Maybe they are longing for children. Maybe they've lost children. There's, there's a lot of different um, people in our congregation in different places. And so I just want to acknowledge that and say, we pray for you. We pray for strength for you. Um, and, and we love you. And what I would, would say in all of this is that I recognize that a mom's love was created by God. I, th- I believe it's a picture for a, a love that's kind of beyond our understanding. A supra-rational love, a, a mystical love. A mom has passion for her children. There, when, you, when you know and you've watched mothers in, in action, you realize that their entire day is shaped by their children. No matter where they are at work, where they're traveling, there isn't uh, an hour that goes by where their children hasn't flown through their brains and kind of taken up some space and, and plotting and planning and praying. That's the passion a mother has for her children. And this is a human passion. I think it's a natural passion. And I believe it's a natural passion at its best. And it's demonstrative to us of how passion should look in our lives. I suggest that a mom, as she loves her children, this is a beautiful picture of what all of our passion should look like. Passion done right. And we know passion could go wrong. We have phrases like crimes of passion. We definitely know that there's sins of passion. But the beauty of passion is when it's directed to someone in true love. Ultimately, the the most beautiful example of passion that we can demonstrate, I believe, is when we have our passion focused on God. Imagine if we lived our lives with passion towards God the way that a mother lives her life with passion towards her children. If we plotted and planned and prayed, we were in commune with God all the day. If we sacrificed and we gave up things that were important or lovely to us for God. Today we're going to take a look as we close our passion series at the life of a person who I believe is a very remarkable woman, Mary of Bethany, and her passion for Jesus. John 12, verse 1. And then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Martha served, Lazarus sat, but Mary anointed. This is the story of Mary of Bethany. 
Now, it's very interesting we had Magdalena today, and some people wonder if this Mary of Bethany is the same as Mary of Magdalene. We do know that both of those women were beautiful examples of passion for Jesus. We know that this Mary witnessed the resurrection of her brother from the dead. We know that she loved Jesus so much that although she was supposed to be helping cook the food and get things ready for the meal, that she just sat at Jesus' feet to the chagrin of her sister, Martha. And now she comes out with a pound of spikenard. A spikenard, what is that? It's some type of uh, plant which they get the oil from that was very, very valuable. When we're talking about a pound of spikenard, we're talking about 12 ounces, 330 grams of strong, pungent, perfumed oil. It wasn't just like perfume from a spray bottle. This is oil with perfume mixed in it, and anointing oil. Now, anointing is a very powerful symbol in the ancient world. When you anoint someone, you are calling the blessings of God upon them. You're calling the Spirit of God upon them. We just anointed Maggie today. We pray for her, and we want to see God's Spirit upon her and bless her and keep her. This is what anointing is. It's this powerful symbol. And Mary is doing this for Jesus, anointing his feet. Think about that. The passion that Jordan and Danica have for Magdalene, the love they have for her, and, and, and everything we seem to say, that is the same passion that Mary is pouring out on Jesus. She has this incredible love of Jesus, and she wants to anoint him. An act of passion. Now, to some, it might have been a little eccentric. You can imagine, like, this is weird, awkward. For one, you don't anoint feet. You don't anoint feet. We, we anointed her head today. When it talks about Aaron being anointed with oil, it's like, it's coming down his head and it's down his beard. Like, you anoint the head. You don't anoint feet. So what is she doing? Well, I'd like to just point out there, when, when it says that she's anointing the feet, you're, you're noticing right away that she's coming with a bit of humility to this. John the Baptist had said that the sandals of Jesus were not even something he could untie. He was unfit to tie his sandals. I can't imagine Mary coming to his feet like, I, I am unfit to anoint your head, Messiah. I will humbly anoint your feet. Again, Mary, by anointing the feet, is taking the position of, of a slave or a servant in that day. You didn't touch feet unless you were a servant. They were unclean. It was below your station. What I love about what Mary's doing is she just spontaneously, out of the passion of her heart for Jesus, just gets down on her knees and anoints his feet. And guess what? This is the very thing that... Later on, Jesus is going to ask his disciples to do with their, and they're, they're very reluctant. Before he's even taught that servant leadership is foot washing, this woman is just from her passion for Jesus on her feet, anointing, on her knees, anointing his feet. Isn't that amazing? That her passion has already made her act like the disciple that Jesus wants. 
She's down there on her feet. It's pretty intimate feet, right, when you're touching feet. And then she gets more intimate. She takes her hair and she starts to wipe his feet. Now, a good Jewish woman in this day and age would not even let her hair down in public. Her hair would be covered at all times amongst the men. And yet, she unravels her hair, lets it down, and actually wipes feet with her hair. How will you? I'm used to like cleaning my hair, but putting my hair on feet? That's got to be coming from some place in your heart where it's just like an act of passion. I'm going I'm to soap and sop up this excess oil and wipe it and make sure your feet are completely covered with oil. The word here for wiped is once again the exact word that Jesus used, is used for Jesus when he wipes the feet of his disciples with a towel when he cleans her feet. So here we have this perfect example of a love of a disciple. Mary's getting very close to Jesus. She wants him to know, I love you. And the fragrance filled the house. This is a remarkable statement. First of all, it shows you how strong this oil is. There's a lot of oil and it's strong. And now the whole house is smelling like this perfume. We've got to remember that smell is actually very important to Mary. In fact, a little while earlier in the Gospel of John, when Mary is mourning her brother Lazarus, Jesus comes. She's a little upset with him. You should have came. He says, oh, no, I want to go to the tomb. And, and her, her and her sister are like, no, he smells, Jesus. The smell of death is looming over our household. It's very pungent and strong. You don't go there, you, it'll knock you back. You can't, you can't deal with this smell. And now, this house that had death looming over it has this beautiful fragrance and aroma of the passion given towards Christ in it. It's a beautiful picture for Mary. That in, in doing this, she is showing her love and passion for Jesus. And this is the fragrance of her passion spreading. Mary will give Jesus everything. No sacrifice is too small. I think this is very important when we talk about passion and Christ. That we recognize that real passion for Jesus equals personal sacrifice. If your faith in Jesus costs you nothing, I think we need to take a good look at it. Passion pours itself out exhaustively upon its object. Again, it's like the, the love of a mother for her child. This week there was a tragic story in the news of a woman in Mexico. She's an activist. And she's been fighting to find out where the remains of her daughter are. Her daughter was kidnapped by a cartel, as we see happen often down there, sadly. And she didn't know where it was, and she wanted to go to some of these mass graves and find the body. And she pushed and fought for it. And finally, they did find the body. 
And then, just a little while ago, on Mexican Mother's Day, she was gunned down. Her passion for her daughter drove her forward. People would tell her, don't do this, but you don't know, you know who you're messing with? This is dangerous. She said, I love my child so much, I want her to have honor and dignity and justice. And so she pushed for it, and she sacrificed her very life to obtain that for her daughter. This is passion. This is the passion we need for Jesus if we want to call ourselves his disciples. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why is this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Judas, lover of money. Passion for dollars. He didn't have love for the poor in his heart. He didn't love Jesus as much as he needed. It's kind of a tragic story of a disciple who's kind of lost his passion. Maybe even it died. And so this number comes up, 300 denarii. One year's wages for a worker. Imagine that. Your year's salary just placed in perfume on the feet of Jesus. Simon Iscariot, a.k.a. Judas, he's the type of guy that's going to turn everything into a dollar figure. Here in front of him is this remarkable act of love, an incredible act of love, a woman at the feet of her master whom she loves, showing him that he is the most valuable thing in her life, and he's pouring it down, and Judas is doing math calculations. I imagine you'd be really good at that antique uh, side road or whatever show, you know, where he's like, you're valuing the antiques and stuff. He would, Judas would know. 300 denarii. He's on a valuation on the perfume because he can't get past its monetary worth. He can't understand the passion behind this. And so he uses the poor as an excuse. I often wonder, if we don't have genuine passion... Do we ever hijack the passion of others? We look for things, either cut it down, or maybe we do the opposite, where we think of things that they're passionate for, and we try to push those buttons so that they get excited about something that we want to get out of it. Hey, what about the poor? It's a great, noble thing, but then I can get the money out of the money box. It shows us where our hearts are sometimes, now, I want to be honest, when I read this, when I read what Judas says, it kind of makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Three, a whole year's salaries poured on one person's feet does sound a little over the top. Imagine if you, if you saw a, a friend doing that. You'd be like, what are, what are you doing? 
Now, obviously, we wouldn't have the physical Jesus in front of us. Maybe that would change things a lot. But we, when we see this, we, we realize that it, 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 what Judas is saying makes sense. I, I, I struggle with it. I go, oh, yeah, like maybe, oh, I want to help the poor. Jesus told me to help the poor. But it doesn't mean that Jesus isn't worth sacrificing for. I think that's the, the key here. We need to be careful that we, we don't pull excuses and good visions and things to become an excuse to get what we want. Judas was, you know, loving Jesus, I believe, for what he could get, not for who he was. Where is your passion for Jesus? Where's my passion? Is it because of who he is? Or is it because of what he's worth to me? But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always. But me, you do not have always. What's interesting here is you start to hear Jesus talking about what Mary's doing, and he's giving her actions a prophetic significance. We realize that this is getting close to Passover, and Jesus is going to die on the Passover. And so he says, like, this is for my burial. She's preparing my body for death. Now, death is the very thing that drives Judas away from Jesus. He can't handle this dying Messiah thing. And here we have Mary and her passion, probably not even understanding the significance of what she's doing. She's preparing his body for burial. The poor you will have with you always. That phrase is very interesting. I think sometimes that phrase can get misused, right? Where we kind of turn it into this like, oh, I don't have to worry about the poor or the, the poor will take care of themselves. Or Jesus isn't saying don't worry about the poor. In fact, he actually tells us very clearly that if you don't care about the poor, you're not actually a disciple, even if you think and say that you are. So he's not saying don't care about the poor. I believe what he's saying is when you love the poor, you love them because you love Jesus. You love Jesus. It is important as Christians to love Jesus even more than the poor because in the poor is Jesus, as you feed and clothe, he says that you fed and clothed me. We need to put Jesus first, and our passion and our love in our lives has to be for Jesus first and foremost. I've seen it before for people who love the poor and want to care for the poor, and, and they pour their lives in the poor, and then it's like they can burn out. Eventually, kind of, oh, it's too much. Because the poor you'll have with you always, it's, a, it's an exhausting task. But if you love them through your love of Jesus, then you have this strength in your love and passion for Jesus to continue and to push forward with that. We don't love Jesus because we love the poor. We don't love Jesus because he loved the poor. We love Jesus because he loves the entire world. He made us. He will lead us into all that's right. We love Jesus. And as we love Jesus, then we love the poor. Something I love about this patch, I, I kind of love how he just defends Mary. He defends this woman for doing something ridiculous. 
for Jesus. Judas attacks her. And I think a lot of us, like I said, understand that reasoning. It makes some sense. But Jesus lifts her up. Sometimes passion may seem unreasonable. You ever, you kind of, I think our society kind of says this to us as Canadians. You can love your Jesus, just don't get silly about it, all right? Right? You mean like give away a whole year's salary? Yeah, exactly. The Spirit of God sometimes moves on our hearts in ways that involves us doing something that might seem outrageous to some people. They cannot grasp it. They can give you great reasons to not do that. We can hear all the things that you could be using your money, your time, your talents, every, all your energy on. But Jesus is calling. He's calling you. If you have your passion for him, he will sometimes speak to you and you might end up doing something that you never thought you would ever see yourself doing. I believe Jesus loves it when our passion is not tamed. Of course, and he wants us to be wise. I'm not saying don't be wise. But we learn in scripture that the love of God is wisdom. Passion for God is wisdom. So when you pour out your heart towards God in passion, and it might seem crazy to other people, you are in fact being your most wise. Being passionate about Jesus is the most wise thing that you can do in this life. I, personally, I remember I threw away my possible career in computers. People like, that's crazy. What are you doing? I actually had that said to me. Some of you just today threw away some of your hard-earned cash to our community so that we could share Jesus together. A lot of you give your valuable time and energy to this community and pour into one another in ways that other people say, why? It's not how Jesus sees it. Jesus sees it as an incredible display of love and passion. And he allows you to enter into your deepest relationship with him. As this woman's laying all this money at his feet and wiping his feet, he sees this as a beautiful prophetic statement about who he is and her love for him. And I pray that we could follow our passion like her. Your passion is rewarding. May God fill us in this room with a mysterious passion. A crazy love. Francis Chan. Why does our passion for Jesus uh, sometimes seem to just be a secondary thing? Why don't we let our passion for Jesus start to play out in real life? What does it look like in real life when you're passionate for Jesus? What does it look like in real time? Well, I believe it, it means that we, in concrete ways, start to act in ways that show that we love Jesus. When we pour our lives, it shows 
our passion. When we give of our time, it shows passion. When we give of our finances, it shows passion. When we give of ourselves, that's what passion looks like. And we need to be a people characterized by passion for Jesus. Everything that we do in this church should be shaped by our passion for Jesus. So next month, we're going to go into Palermo, and we're going to have a carnival, a festival in the park. Why? Because we love Jesus, and Jesus loves our neighbors. And so as we go there, and we have the the bouncy castles, and we have the the barbecues and the food, and we do all this stuff. This is us trying to show our passion for Jesus because he loves them. And what's happening is the fragrance of Christ, the fragrance of the perfume is starting to move from this house, and it's moving over across the street into the neighborhoods. It's filling the rooms. This is why we do these things. And we do this as a church body. Can we show the passion together? Yes, on our own individual lives, but together showing the passion of Christ. Why do we encourage you this summer to get together with some of your neighbors and just kind of have a barbecue? Share the grill because you need to continue to reinforce and rebuild that passion for Jesus, which is a passion for other people, the passion for the people that he loves, the people that he cares for. Our passion for Jesus should be directed into into action, sharing our love of Jesus for others. There's this power to Mary's story, isn't there? She knows how to respond to the love of God she has in her heart without being told. Again, prophetic of what Jesus is going to teach with the foot washing. Her passion is just this natural thing in her. It's a, a, a genuine expression just comes out of her. Is your passion like that? Believe me, I'm asking myself, is, is my passion like that? Will I drop everything at the feet of Jesus on a dime when that moment comes? When that spirit moves? Does your passion for Jesus make you a bit strange to people? I pray that for yourself. I pray that for me and my family, that we got to see a, a passion like Mary has, that just like to boil up in our hearts, that we fill the rooms of our house with the love and the passion of Christ, and it will be noticeable to all who enter, the aroma of Christ. May we have a mystical passion towards Jesus, and, and may it resemble the, the love a mother has for her children. May we be a people of passion who pour everything at the feet of Jesus. So may we be consumed by a passion for Jesus so that that love becomes our perfume. When I think about passion in Jesus, it immediately brings me to the cross and to this table. The fact that we call the entire sequence leading up to the cross the passion of Christ shows that what Mary has done is exactly like what he did. She laid the perfume at his feet. He poured out his life like that perfume at the foot of the cross. And so today as we come to the table, as we partake of the bread and the cup, I pray that we'll take a moment just to 
meditate upon, reflect upon the passion that Jesus had and his love for you, that he gave himself for you, and that that would in turn excite you and bring passion up in your heart. And a passion would be building in you so that when you go into the world, you would be the perfume of Christ.